AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome to Business on the Brink, a production from iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. Zipping through the air at the speed of light, radio broadcasts were on the verge of changing communications forever. But even in the early days, there was some static in the signal as the United States government worried about who controls the transmissions. A concern over national security led to an effective monopoly that tuned into what listeners wanted to hear. This is RCA on Business on the Brink. Everybody, I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten, and welcome to Business on the Brink. And today we're going to co- talk about RCA. This was a listener request. Ashley wrote in to ask us to cover RCA, and it's a really interesting one. I've talked about RCA before in another podcast. And uh, it's partly, I think, interesting because unlike any other company we've covered so far on this show, this was one that started off as monopoly, not just a monopoly, but a government-sanctioned monopoly. Mm-hmm. It was the government's idea. But in order to understand how we got to that point, like why did this exist, we have to look at a little bit of background. Now, first of all, RCA is an initialism. Okay, so if it's an initialism, what does it stand for, Jonathan? Radio Corporation of America, which will come into play later when they change their name to a point where it becomes – funny to me. but uh, <laughs> I mean, I think corporations, no. Yeah. I'm not going to say they're funny. It gets it gets funnier, <laughs> trust me. Okay. But technically, they celebrated turning 100 years old in 2019, which is the year that we are recording this episode. Well, that sounds like a, a pretty great accomplishment to it, me. It would be if it was still a company, but it hasn't been since 1986. Oh, so uh, kind of like United Artists. Kind 
like United Artists. Yeah, well, we'll talk more about the ultimate fate of RCA in the next episode. Oh, I guess I should say that too. Spoiler alert. This is going to be a two-part episode because we wanted to talk, one, about RCA's meteoric rise, helped in no small part by the fact that it was the only game in town. Yeah. But we want to talk about how it established itself and, moreover, how the leader of RCA really established RCA as a power player in not just radio and radio equipment business, but business in general. And then in the second episode, we'll talk about what done went wrong. Dun, dun, dun. So uh, this is where we get into the history and how the United States created RCA, or at least allowed RCA to be created. All right. So... I, I guess what happened? Were they? Did they create the very first radio? No, no. So here's what happens: uh, you've got the the discovery of radio, right? Mm-hmm. Which is outside the parameters of this show. So I'm not going to go total geek on you and talk about. Thank but, you, Jonathan. But I could. But thank you, Jonathan. So if you're not good, I will do it. Okay. Um, I will be good. Continue okay. on. All right. So radio's discovered. People start figuring out applications for radio. They start using it to be a wireless communications tool where they could transmit Morse code over radio waves. Previously, Morse code was transmitted over wires. So that's that's primarily what radio was being used for in the early 1900s around the world. It was being used as communication. And no one was using it to broadcast audio apart from the Morse code uh, clicks and Which- beeps. Which barely counts as audio. Yes, yeah. Once in a while, people would experiment with it, but it was not a thing yet. So we didn't even have pirate radio at this point. No, no. You just had blips blip, blip. as people were blip. sending messages across uh, across blip. vast distances. Now, there was a company that was a big, big player in this radio communication space called Marconi, named after one of the uh, – disputed inventors of radio. You know who the other big disputed inventor of radio was, right? Tesla. Yes. Also, I want to say, because uh, Jonathan did most of the research on this episode, when I first read it, I thought it said the Macaroni Company. No. I was... I and was, it may have in a couple of places because my t- sometimes I make typos and I don't I, correct them. Look, I was just hungry and a little confused. Yeah. So, okay, so... So, yeah, Marconi, the Marconi Company is created and it owns a bunch of radio transmission stations in the United States. And again, this is really just for sending messages, mm-hmm. like telegrams. So... Uh, here's the issue. The Marconi Company was a British-owned company. It was not an American-owned company. And at first, no one had a problem with that. But then a little thing started to happen uh, in the late 1910s era. And that little thing was called, at the time, the Great War. In retrospect, the we call it first Wo- First World War. Yeah. World War One, I, I guess. Is yes. The that's also, also called that. So... World War I breaks out in Europe, mm-hmm. and this is where the United States government starts to get a little nervous because you have a vital communications network within the borders of the United States, but it is owned and operated by a foreign company. Yeah, but an ally. Even so. And so there was a lot of fear that – communications could be compromised, that it could 
result in spies spying on American intelligence that's passing through. If it's if it's passing through a foreign owned company's system, there was no way of knowing that the official communications through the U.S. government were going to be safe. I see. Um, so did they just cut us off from all other radio communications? No, they kind of went even more crazy paranoid than that. So I shouldn't say crazy paranoid. It was definitely ruthless. So first you have the United States Navy saying that, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have um, the we're going to enforce an executive order that President Woodrow Wilson signed. Uh, and that uh, that order was giving the Navy authority to censor communications that were passing through the Marconi network. So as you can imagine, if you're a communications company, censorship is not something you want to have happen. Yeah. You know, you don't – obviously, it would cast doubt on your ability to fulfill your promise to your customers. Mm-hmm. So the Marconi company says, this don't sound right. So they challenged it. OK. All right. So See, it seems reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. You're thinking like, well, that – you got to take some steps to protect your business this can't be this can't be legal. Uh, the Navy ended up responding in a very reasonable way by shutting down all U.S. operations of Marconi in 1915 for about three months. That it's kind of like that's my a very narrow definition of reasonable. Well, it's it's like my threat that I would go into talking about the invention of radio. It's it's sort of you know the definite the the stick, not the carrot, and um, uh, they decided that it was. Too risky to trust that Marconi would obey the executive order, the 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 authority that the Navy supposedly had to censor them. So they took all the assets, the North American the, assets, the towers and the stations. Yes, all the all the equipment being used to transmit communications. The government said. This is no longer yours. So this is a case where the U.S. government effectively wrested the corporate assets of another – of a foreign-owned, you know, business away from that business. I – OK. So what does that even accomplish? OK. Uh, well, for one thing, now the U.S. military had its own communication system. <laughs> I mean – Because the Marconi didn't have it anymore. I, like, I'm pretty sure they were already more – Coding them each other, right? Yeah, but now they could do it wirelessly. It was All so right. cool. <laughs> uh, and also, more importantly, from a national security standpoint, I mean, I would argue that this was definitely a, a crazy case of overreach. Mm-hmm. You know, for, yeah. But this also meant from a national security standpoint, which is it's hard to argue, it did make the the country more secure against foreign spies, you know, from espionage, from from uh, uh Sabotage of communications networks. I, I mean, I get it. It's better to be overcautious than not cautious enough. During a time of war. During a time of war. But it is, it's tough because you think about that. If we heard a story today about the United States government taking over, let's say that it's a, a, a social network that was owned by a company that existed outside the United States. Mm-hmm. And it's at a point where we're seeing a lot of chatter on social networks uh, that – the government might say, well, we're going to shut either shut down access to this or we're going to somehow wrest control of facilities in the United States that belong to this company. That, that would – there would be a riot. There would be. All right. But I mean eventually the war is over, right? Yes. And then 
we can just return it. Like no, no, they they decided that what that it would be better if an American company owned it rather than a foreign company. They're like, well, we could make a an arrangement to return this to the formerly rightful owners of the equipment, but. If this should happen again, we'll just be, have to take it back. Why don't we just create an all-American organization to oversee it? Oh, man. Poor Marconi. <laughs> well, poor Tesla. But that's poor a different story. Poor Tesla. Poor everybody. Yeah. Uh, so the decision was made that there needed to be an American company or organization to oversee these various broadcast stations and, and other assets. Mm-hmm. So they consulted with a group of companies that together formed a partnership that would create this organization. And those companies were huge, still are huge names. All all radio companies, right? (laughs) Well, all sorts of companies that were somewhat uh, connected to the radio industry in that they would make the stuff that radios would either – like either radio would play on or transmit through. So they had a vested interest obviously. These are companies that were making either products or services that the radio industry would depend upon. So it's almost like saying uh, to Coca-Cola, like let's say, all right, Coca-Cola, you make soft drinks. We're going to make you in charge of all distribution of soft drinks throughout the United States. And Coca-Cola says, that's great. (laughs) All right. So I know one of the companies because it came into play in our CBS episode. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's Westinghouse. Yep. Westinghouse was one. uh, Western Electric, General Electric, AT&T, and the United Fruit Company. How? One of these things is not like the other. Uh, I – you need your energy – to Morse code people, Jonathan. No. Okay, so fruit is full of energy. <laughs> here's the thing about the United Fruit Company. Uh, that story is crazy. Uh, we'll have to do an episode about United Fruit Company at some point because you've heard, you probably have you ever heard the phrase uh, like a banana republic? Mm-hmm. Okay. I've bought some of their clothes. Have you, well, no. <laughs> All right. no, I've heard the phrase too. But have you also heard of things like banana wars? Yes. Okay, so. If you start looking into those things and you look at the conflict and the the controversy of American businesses in tropical regions and how they destabilized entire regions in order to do business, United Fruit uh, Trade Company or the United Fruit Company rather comes up a lot in those. But for the importance of this episode, they also owned and operated their own radio and telegraph company. So that's why they were brought in on this as well and why this company that would otherwise seem like an outlier was an important part. Okay, So all these companies come together and they form RCA? Yep. They do that. And by 1919, RCA is a thing. General Electric would be the primary owner of this uh, organization, not the sole owner, but had like a majority share essentially. Mm -hmm. And uh, in order to – avoid having any problems with each other, they all agreed they would cross-license their individual patents to this company. So that way, no one partner in the in the in the group would say, oh no, you can't use this particular technology unless you pay us X amount of money and then we'll let you do it. Seems reasonable. Yeah. So this way no one could hold out yeah. on anyone else. That was the premise anyway. Uh, and 
They then had to figure out who was going to be the leader. Well, obviously Marconi, right? <laughs> yeah. Tesla. <laughs> okay, neither of those. First of all, neither of them, neither of them were considered fit to be to own a company or to run a company <laughs> in uh, in America at that time. So, no, they turned to someone else who also would have seemed unlikely uh, if you had just had a cursory look at his history, and that was a man named David, David Smirnoff. Sarnoff. <laughs> So close. I'm sorry. I've had very little sleep, you guys. So yeah. It's I, an extra fun. Yeah. I, I, I made me look to make sure I didn't end up writing <laughs> Smirnoff. Okay. Please don't. Please, please don't. Okay. Okay. So Sarnoff, he, he becomes the general manager. And the reason he was general manager, not president, is that RCA was not really an independent company yet. It mm-hmm. was this kind of group concern. So it's a weird – it, it it occupied a weird space in the in the spectrum that we look at for corporations. Yeah, because it was a it was a partnership. It was an organization. It was sort of a company. I mean, a corporation was in its name, but Sarnoff was considered a general manager because it was operating under the auspices of these larger shadowy partners in the background. All right. Um, so Sarnoff was interesting because he was originally born in Russia not in the United States. His family did immigrate to the States when he was just a boy, though. All right. So it wasn't like he had grown up and then and then immigrated to the United States. He, he wasn't living in Russia when he took over the company. No. That, that would defeat the purpose of yeah. keeping the— Or Cody uh, would have said, hey, what's up? <laughs> really, guys? Or actually, the, really, it would have been the, the British company owners of the Marconi yeah. company saying, excuse me, chap. What, in fact, is up? I don't quite understand what's going on. Yes. But uh, Sarnoff had been a uh, kind of in the business since he was a child. As a teenager, he worked as a messenger boy for a telegraph company. He then worked his way up to becoming an actual telegraph operator. And he worked for the American Marconi Company, the, right. the same one that the United States had wrested all its assets from. So, I mean, it feels to me like that's... Not succession planning, but still a very wise move. He's already familiar. Well, and he had proven himself to be incredibly ambitious and innovative. He had quickly risen through the ranks over at the uh, American Marconi Company. So he was really like a, a good candidate. Like he he knew his stuff and he – Seemed like the kind of guy who was going to just push this this business to greater heights. And in fact, that's exactly what he would do. Well, and you have this note here that he even picked up a distress signal from the Titanic. Well, that's what he said. Well, yeah, he claimed that in 1912 he was one of the radio operators who picked up the Titanic's distress signals. There were other reports that disputed that and said what he actually picked up was a response to the Titanic's uh, distress call. So he picked up one of the rescue ship's mm-hmm. responses. So uh, he, however, would relay the story as being him. him. Like he did. He sat, yeah. he sat at his at his telegraph uh, uh, office for like 26 hours straight or whatever. Okay. This is a sidetrack though. Let's let's get back to sure. his part in RCA. So the two, two businesses that he was really focusing on early on, were uh, essentially wireless communications. So again, it's still telegraphs, mm-hmm. and uh, which would mean building out more towers and stations to build out more of an infrastructure for that communications system in the United States. And 
through its partners, it was selling industrial radio equipment. So we're talking about like, again, stuff for the transmission and reception of radio waves on a major scale. So not like radio sets that you would buy and take home and tune in, but rather these were, again, the component parts for a communication system. And it's important to say that because at this point, RCA is not making stuff for the general consumer. But one of the interesting things about technology is that when a new technology starts to blossom, regular ordinary schmoes like, want a part of it. Yeah, they want to. They want to learn how it works. They want to. They get interested. They're fascinated mm-hmm. by it. And as it turns out, building a radio. It requires a little bit of knowledge, but not a whole lot in materials. And so you started seeing people building their own radios, and you saw the rise of a new species, the amateur radio operator. All right. Well, uh, tech guy, we're going to talk about that. But first, we're going to take a quick break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. All right, so tell us more about this amateur radio bloom. Well, it had had a bit of a delay on it because during World War I, the United States said no, 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 because they wanted the airwaves clear for official communications. Mm -hmm. 
But once that was over, uh, the ban lifted on October 1st, 1919. Uh, And now the general public was starting to get interested, at least the hobbyists in the general public were starting to get interested in radios. And then on top of that, you had Westinghouse, one of the partners Mm -hmm. behind RCA, that wanted to make radio sets for the general public. But here's the problem. How do you convince somebody to go out and buy a radio set? You give them a free puppy with it. Oh, that's one way. But I mean, like... (laughs) You asked me the question, Jonathan. Okay, well, that's how we would get you to buy a radio set. But for the general public, the problem was that what are you going to listen to? Right? There's nothing yeah, he, There's nothing to listen to. Beeps and boops are not yeah. – dots and dashes are not very entertaining. So it meant that Westinghouse said, well, what we need to do is create a station that would broadcast something that a radio set could pick up and play. And this is where you're talking about actually broadcasting speech and music, real you know, audio to these stations. Now, radio sets. Now, t- to be clear – on an experimental level, this has already been done. Yeah. It wasn't like Westinghouse was inventing the radio set. But no one had done it on beyond a hobbyist level or beyond a couple of sort of almost like PR stunts. Yeah, but I mean he set up an actual radio station. Mm-hmm. In 1920, they created – they got the license to operate the first uh, – radio broadcast station. Uh, uh, this was where – it was all new. The United States is having to come up with a way to license this stuff because no one had done it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the radio station was KDKA in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh represent. Yeah. I got family there, y'all. Yeah. And uh, it went live on November 2nd, 1920. And Sarnoff and RCA were not part of this yet. Okay. But Sarnoff had already – proposed in his earlier work at the Marconi Company something called a, a, a he was calling it a radio music box which was essentially a radio set mm-hmm. so this was much in, very much in line with things that he had been thinking about for years so he thought let's create more demand for radio sets he arranged for the radio broadcast of a sporting event which was the boxing match between Jack Dempsey who was a world famous boxing champion mm-hmm and he was going up against Georges Carpentier, who was a, a French boxer who had a reputation for knocking out British boxing champions. Also, Dempsey in this one, oddly enough, was considered the villain. Even though he was American and this was a fight that was going to happen on America's soil, he was considered to be the villain of this boxing match. You know, often we think yeah. of it in terms in that way. And it was because he did not fight in World War I, but Carpentier did. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Dempsey would win by knockout in the fourth round. All right. (laughs) So bad guy wins. All right. Uh, Anyway, RCA would then uh, try to leverage this to sell more radio sets, and it started to work. So then uh, you started to see entrepreneurs across the United States establish their own radio stations. And this was – Early on, so radio stations were largely independent. They were, you know, just – it was a a regional thing. They had a wide range of transmission power. So in some cases, you might only transmit a few miles. Others, it might be a full region. So that means that you didn't have to listen to a lot of commercials on your radio, right? Well, especially early on, you didn't because it was such a new idea. But eventually got to the point where it was sponsored content. So you would have a company say – all right, well, we will offer to pay for the production of this radio content if in turn you'll say our name mm-hmm. every 
X number of minutes. Uh, and then eventually you would actually get to radio advertising. So radio commercials would start to become a thing by 1922. And then by 1924, there were more than 600 radio stations in the United States. So Jeez this, Louise. It took off. Yeah. So RCA is doing business like gangbusters because, again, they're selling the actual transmission components. So they're doing really well. And then their various partners are selling a lot of the – the radio sets, so everyone's happy. Great. Okay. End of story. No, we got a whole much more to talk <laughs> about. But then Sarnoff is thinking, all right, well, what if we create a network of radio stations? So not just these independent stations that are everywhere. What if we we create a network so that we can make content in a centralized location? And then broadcast that out to different stations in this network. And then you can have the same radio content going out to listeners across an entire seaboard or even across the entire United States. It sounds like a good improvement in the process. Uh, Yes. It also would cause headaches for RCA later. But they decided, all right, we're going to make a network. We're going to actually create two networks, but they're going to be lumped under the same designation. That designation was uh, the National Broadcasting Company, NBC. NBC. Mm -hmm. Started off as the radio network, not a TV network. And uh, it's interesting because there were two parallel independent networks under NBC. They were called Red and Blue. So – Rooster Teeth. Yes, it was like Rooster Teeth. It was like Rooster Teeth Blue. blue. (laughs) No, uh, they were largely similar, but over time they would have slightly different programming. Really, it was just a way of organizing the networks. Uh, They had different kind of central radio stations as their HQ, but you had two separate ones. You had the Blue Network, the Red Network, but they were both NBC. So they were both uh, identified as NBC. One of the other interesting things we can – actually, I'll talk about now for right now because here's the crazy thing about NBC. You can argue that NBC was the creation of all three of the classic major United States networks. So, you know, we've got the four now, you would argue. You have Mm -hmm. NBC, ABC, CBS, CBS. and Fox. Mm -hmm. Take Fox out because for a long time it was just ABC, NBC, and CBS. Again, we covered that in our CBS episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So NBC uh, was uh, very picky about what programming it would carry. And you had this talent agent named Arthur Judson. And he was frustrated because the talent he represented, he wanted to get them on NBC. But NBC wasn't picking them up. So he thought, well – Fine, I'll go make my own radio network. And he did. He created one. It was called United Independent Broadcasters, and he founded that in 1927. But uh, it didn't go over well. He wasn't able to really get good financing for it. It was losing money. And so then a wealthy dude named William S. Paley comes along, uh, and he ends up buying the United Independent Broadcasters, reworks it, renames it, and calls it the Columbia Broadcasting System, or CBS. CBS. Yeah. So the reason CBS existed in the beginning was because uh, there was this group of talent that couldn't get work at NBC. Mm-hmm. So if NBC had hired them, CBS maybe never would have exist- existed, which is kind of interesting. But if you want to hear about that, listen to our CBS episode. Yes. So right. 
back back to RCA. Uh, in 1929, they got majority share in the Victor Talking Machine Company. They made Victrolas and gramophones. So if you – I'm sure you've seen the logo of the dog cocking mm-hmm. its head, looking at the phonograph. Yes. That's yeah, a, technically always, it's a Victrola. Yeah, which, you know, I know is the RCA logo. Yeah, that's because it was the Victor Talking Machine logo. Then RCA acquired Bought, yeah. them. And then they used that logo for some of RCA – particularly for RCA records, Makes but for sense. some of their, their divisions. So, yeah, uh, that uh, logo, by the way, is specifically called His Master's Voice. And the dog's name is Nipper. Nipper. So-called because he would nip the backs of legs of people who came to visit nice. his master. Um, yeah, funny little story. So this would be the moment when RCA would actually get into consumer electronics. This rise of radio, RCA was, again, looking at just doing the industrial stuff. Yeah, I mean, they were, like, toying with the idea. Yeah, and their partners were selling mm-hmm. consumer electronics. So, like, Westinghouse was doing it, but RCA itself had not been doing it up to this point. But now they had bought a company that was making consumer electronics, so they start selling oh, it. But this puts them in competition with Columbia, right? Yes, it did, and it would get pretty ugly. So Columbia now is in competition with them on two different fronts. There's the consumer electronics front in the sense of the the gramophones and, and Victrolas and things mm-hmm. like that, as well as the music that was being sold for those things. That was one level of competition. The other being that now RCA is operating or is the parent company of NBC and NBC is competing against CBS. Yes. Columbia had been part of CBS. Um So, yeah, this would be the beginning of a fierce competition between RCA and Columbia. But we'll tell you guys about that right after this break. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year 
equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. All right, we're going to get into some ugly stuff. Yay. Because Sarnoff is a sort of take-no-prisoners kind of guy. He seems like it. Very, very driven. Driven's a good word for it. So 1929, big year for RCA. Uh, For one thing, RCA would buy a chain of movie theaters called the Keith Albee Orpheum Chain of Theaters and also acquired the Film Booking Offices of America. Then it took those two things and collided them in a weird way, squishing them together to create a new thing, something that Ariel and I know a lot about. Yes. But that's a different show. And merged them into a new company called Radio Keith Orpheum Pictures, better known as RKO Pictures. Uh, Anyone who's a big fan of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like Jonathan. Yep. uh, They're very familiar with RKO because it's referenced a lot in that particular movie. All right. So why did they they get into the theater... Business, movie this, business. This is this is another one of the. So you remember how Westinghouse needed to have something to play on radios in order for people to go buy radio sets? Yeah. Very similar. Uh, RCA had come up with a way to pair audio with images in film. Okay, so they needed a place to present that audio. Exactly. They they needed to have theaters that would run the equipment that would show these films. Because otherwise, they were having to come into competition with established film companies that were also trying to market their own audio-to-film technologies. So this was a race to establish the standard. I mean, I've been to a lot of movies. It seems like RCA is the standard. It is. It it eventually became that. So it ended up working. RCA was able to establish that – its methodology would become the basis for the standard of uh, film audio. And I won't go into how it works super technical, but it was, you know, just imagine that you have all these different companies that are all trying to become the standard. They're all mm-hmm. co- competing. And it's very frustrating, right? If you're If you own an independent movie theater, you might have to operate several different types of projectors in order to be able to show any given film because it could have been shot using a different standard or a different approach. By standardizing it, then movie theater operators were saying, oh, good, now I know no matter who I get a movie from, I can show it in my theater because it'll work on the same piece of equipment. So it was very important. And RCA, of course, wanted to be the company to do that because you can make bukus of buckos by licensing out that technology. Nice. Yeah, worked out really well. We're not done with 1929, by the way. Oh. Yeah, so (laughs) this was also when 
uh, Sarnoff became interested in studying something that had not yet fully come into being, and that would be electronic television. Uh, there had been mechanical televisions. I won't go into that either. No. Nope. But it is weird. And there weren't a whole lot of them. Not a lot of people owned a mechanical television. Uh, but the electronic television seemed to be pretty promising. So Sarnoff met with a Westinghouse engineer. And remember, Westinghouse was one of the partners. Mm-hmm. And this was a guy named Vladimir Zworykin. Now, right. have you ever heard about the inventor of TV? I I have a little bit. Again, we, we talk about there was like CBS made a TV. Yes. And RCA made a TV. Yes. And then they had some fights over it. Yep. Yep. That's going to be a part of this conversation too. Yeah. So, so that's what I know about the invention of TV. So if you ask the – average, like, tech-savvy history buff person who the inventor of TV is, they typically say Philo Farnsworth. Mm-hmm. And that's that's fair. Philo Farnsworth did a lot to create electronic TV. Vladimir Zworykin was also working on the same concept uh, at the same time, and the two of them were both kind of rushing to develop this. So like Edison and Tesla, or Mar- Marconi and Tesla. Or, <laughs> or, yeah, anyone else in Tesla. Anyone yes. else in Tesla. <laughs> yeah, and, and in this case, Farnsworth would be the Tesla of that, and that he was sort of given a, a, a raw end of the deal because Sarnoff ends up bringing Zworykin over to RCA. Okay. So Zworykin leaves Westinghouse, joins RCA. RCA creates a whole R&D division that Zworykin gets to use as his personal laboratory. And... They also decide that in order to squelch Farnsworth so that he can't sur- he can't stand his competition, they're going to fi- file a whole bunch of lawsuits against Farnsworth, intellectual property lawsuits. Uh, Farnsworth fully believed and ended up being right that his claims were valid, that he was not violating their intellectual property. They were, in fact, violating his intellectual property. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing about those IP lawsuits. They drag on for a very long time. Yeah. So Farnsworth was kind of a broken man by the end of it. But it seems it seems like a, an unwise battle to be having because this is around the time of the Great Depression, right? Yep. Like, yep. yep. That's happening. Well, but – and Great Depression was hitting a lot of businesses really hard. But there were certain businesses that were actually doing fairly well. Movie theater businesses were doing all right, and so was radio because people wanted an escape. <laughs> so uh, they were pouring a lot of money into R&D for television. In fact, a crazy amount. It was like $50 million. Wow. Yeah, over, over the course of more than a decade, but still. And they were still doing quite well with radio. Uh, President Roosevelt, that would be FDR, Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, Werewolf was, Hunter. Yeah, he was using radio to connect with citizens who were enduring economic hardship. So it was creating sort of a national identity using radio. So people didn't have a whole lot of money to spare, but those who were saving up would often save up to get something like a radio set. It would help them uh, get entertainment. They would get news. So it was still a, a, a booming business. Okay, but how were consumer electrics doing? How were the TVs doing? Because that's what they were fighting over. Well, they didn't really do much of anything at all at first because um, 
coming out with a brand new technology that's expensive at a time when people are enduring severe economic hardship turns out not the best time to launch a new product. Okay, so what did RCA do in the interim? They, they focused on the radio stuff uh, as much as they could, but they weren't able to really move some of their other products. They came out with a new type of record player that would play records at, get this, 33 and a third revolutions per minute. Is that good? Okay, they used to play them at 78 revolutions Well, that doesn't seem very good. <laughs> Going into this would also require a technical description. But anyway, okay. our, the, important, the interesting thing to me is that RCA tried to come out with a 33 and a third uh, RPM record. It did not do well because they tried to launch it in the Great Depression. Nobody could afford a new radio or new uh, record player, essentially. Mm -hmm. So they didn't go anywhere. And for a long time, the 33 and a third uh, version of records was just off the table. All right. But so that was another failure on, on RCA's part. They weren't making any headway with TV yet. Uh, they were not doing well with the phonograph. They were still doing well with radio. But uh, we'll, we'll wrap this episode up because we're already running long and we have to get into the decline of mm -hmm. RCA in our next one. But we're getting up to 1932. So still Great Depression era, but the U.S. federal government now was starting to get a little, a little worried about RCA because RCA was so dominant in its industry. I mean, they were made up of a bunch of really big companies. Yep. And they were like incredibly powerful. The government said, you know what? You're essentially a monopoly. And RCA is like, uh, yeah, you, you made, made us. us. <laughs> uh, and the government said, no, no, no. That was like a couple of administrations ago. So technically, we didn't make you. And so we'd kind of like you to break up now. And uh, RCA did not break up, but the partnership that formed RCA, what they did was they sold their, their stake in RCA to RCA itself. Okay. So RCA, the entity, buys up its own shares. So kind of like a spinoff. Kind of like, yeah, spinning it off so that it becomes its own independent company. And RCA would become the RCA Corporation, which, which is why I think it's funny because it's the Radio Corporation of America Corporation. <laughs> I mean, just in case you didn't get it the first time. <laughs> uh, I see here David Sarnoff became the president yes. at that point. So now he goes from general manager to president of RCA because RCA now is its own independent company and he would continue to lead RCA. And that will become very important in our next episode. And if you've listened to a lot of business on the brink, you probably are already anticipating where this is going to go, which is where we tell stories about how changes in leadership can have a big impact on a company. Yes. But in the meantime, if this has inspired you to ask us to talk about a different company, you can email us. Where can they do that, Jonathan? That could be it feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. Also, you can go to thebrinkpodcast.show and look up all kinds of information about Jonathan and me, our past episodes, uh, anything like that. Yep. And uh, we promise that in future episodes, Ariel will talk a lot more than I will. It's just that in this particular one, uh, I went bonkers because I was you like, did. I've got so many notes on there, this. Well, and it's so like there's so much technical information and you are like a technical maven. Yeah. So. I just didn't want to get too bogged down in any of the technical details. Uh, and that's, that's you know, it's it's tough because when you're talking about a company like RCA, it's 
its business history is deeply tied to yeah. the technology it was creating. Yeah. But yes, in our next episode, we'll find out how this this company that started as Monopoly uh, got spun off and was still a very dominant player in the space and would continue to be so largely because of David Sarnoff. We're going to see how that company could go to a point where I would say that since 1986, it doesn't even really exist anymore. All right. I look forward to that. All right. See you guys next time. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten. Business on the Brink is a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks. Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.